Good afternoon, everybody. This is Greg Lois. Thanks for joining today. It is January 18th, and we're going to do a topic today that uh, is going to be kind of like a year in review and then a look forward. So let's uh, let's jump in today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about looking back at 2022, what changed here at Lois Law Firm. And I'm hoping that we have a lot of clients listening in today because we are going to talk a little bit about how we've restructured the firm and some of the things we've changed. Uh, then I'm going to talk about the 12 biggest decisions we obtained uh, from our trial teams in New York workers' compensation. What were the big wins? Uh, what were the big things that we're going to be building on next year? And what are the takeaways that we can utilize from that? And then, of course, I'm going to look ahead a little bit to 2023 and start talking about uh, what we expect to have happen next year. So let's talk about the firm and all the changes that we had in 2022. Uh, our mission, our vision, sorry, for the firm is to be the go-to workers' compensation defense firm. And that means something very specific to us. We're the go-to workers' comp firm for you when we're your first call and you know hey, I have this challenge surrounding my workers' compensation program or in the insured risk context, uh, it's a carrier says, I need someone who knows what they're doing, has a system in place, and they're the go-to firm. That's what we intend on being. But we also want to be the best place to work for those who want to be the best, the leaders in our field. So that's the second part. And that part of our vision, that's never going to be finished. I think we're always going to be working on that as a group. We have really strong values here, uh, and over the last couple of years, we've really started talking about our values and applying them to our firm culture. Everything we do throughout our month here centers around our firm values, and I think uh, we're pretty proud that you could really communicate with anybody that works here, and they'll know uh, what our approach is to workers' compensation cases. Our workplace values are creativity, advocacy, professionalism, and service. And of course, the golden rule to each other and our clients. We have some very specific definitions about what these values are, and that's it. There's really just the four plus the golden rule, uh, and that's how we guide every decision um, internally and externally. So in cases, creativity is trying new things. It's adapting to changes. It's collaborating with our clients and learning about how our clients best want to be communicated with. Um, in the workplace, it's trusting each other, taking risks for each other, encouraging each other, supporting each other, being open to criticism and coaching, and working at problems until they are solved. Creativity in cases is not doing the exact same thing in every case. Uh, if your attorney says, sees a case and just says, you know what, it's time to get an IME, or this is what we always do at this point, that's not good enough for us. Um, in cases, I can tell when someone's not being creative when they're procrastinating, and you can tell they don't have a very clear idea of what they're trying to drive the case forward to. Um, I also see sometimes people fill up their days with chores, little tiny tasks, little things that makes it look like they're busy, but doesn't actually move a case forward. I'm not really interested in that. In the workplace, uh, creativity, uh, lack of creativity is a show where someone's not learning anything. Uh, I've had experienced attorneys tell me, oh, I don't need any more training on this, or I don't, you know, you don't need to review my files. I know what I'm doing. Uh, that to me is a red flag that maybe they're not being as creative as they could be. Uh, we also see it express itself in that people sometimes stop taking uh, coaching, criticism, or feedback, or they feel attacked, you know. Uh, so we want to build a, uh, a culture here of creativity. We understand. I mean, this is a practice. It's not a perfect. We're touching cases and we're trying new things and trying, and sometimes it's not always going to work. So we have to have an open atmosphere about that. We measure this internally. Um, 
you know, I believe that creativity is not possible without ongoing learning. And we have a lot of training and workshops and uh, file review sessions here that support that idea. We're always asking each other, and particularly asking uh, the less experienced people, hey, what are you learning? What are you working on? Uh, and we do surveys and feedback after every single training. Our second firm value after creativity is advocacy, um, you know, or aggressiveness. In our cases, it's unrelentingly pursuing our clients' goals. It's standing up for our clients and making sure they don't get taken advantage of. We know this is a hostile and indifferent court system. Someone needs to stand up for these employers. Someone needs to stand up for these carriers. It's also holding our adversaries accountable. Our adversaries try to get away with things, and it's our job to make sure they don't. In the workplace, that shows up as unwaveringly supporting our teammates who are living out our values. We'll always stand up for our firm and for people who are trying. It also means we hold each other accountable internally for those who don't model our firm values. I know what advocacy is not. In our cases, it's letting our clients be preyed upon by an unfair and indifferent court system. It's being lazy. You know, to me, the attorney who's not trying their hardest, who's looking for favors, cutting corners, um, you know, taking on the other side's arguments, that's not being an advocate for our clients. It's not what our clients expect. In the workplace, uh, we do not support those who are not supporting our values. We don't tolerate behaviors or values that conflict with our firm values. Um, we hold each other accountable internally. It's measured internally, and, and the way I measure my leaders, and we have a big leadership group here, is making sure that they're pushing people forward. The leadership is working to the betterment of the people that work here. We're their advocates, right? We're their advocates. Uh, it's up to us to advance them and teach them and coach them and guide them, and that's us. So we need to give everyone opportunities, not just obligations. And the challenge I always give to my leaders is, are you engaging with your teammates? And sometimes you can't engage with them in person. So are we engaging with them in our channel? Because we're working on in teams here. So how does that work? Our next firm value is professionalism. And that's because I care strongly about ethics and integrity. And I measure this by saying simply, I will never ask someone to do something that I would not do myself. Again, sort of the inversion of the golden rule. Um, it's also being respectful towards the courts and our adversaries. We are trying to be civil. And professionalism to me is also having a work-life balance. Uh, it means you're taking your time off. It's, uh, it means that when you punch out at the end of the day, you're done, right? Uh, we have rules here about attorneys should not be communicating with paraprofessionals or staff before or after work hours, right? They're, people need to have their own life. I want you to go home and spend your time with the people you love. In our workplace, professionalism is living our values um, with integrity. It's being authentic. Um, you know, we do have strong values. They're very clear. Uh, you can't simply get away with just parroting the words and pretending or being uh, anything less than authentically yourself. Um, it's also being respectful towards each other. And most importantly, or very importantly to me, it's respecting the work-life balance of your teammates, uh, particularly as leaders. We have to keep that in mind. A professional is not lazy, doesn't take shortcuts. A professional doesn't hide error, right? That's a, that's a tough thing. Uh, there are going to be errors that occur in the work we do. We need to get in front of that and make sure we share that with our clients. And um, professionals respect confidences, and professionals keep their work-life balance in balance. And it's not always easy to do. Believe me, I've got three kids under the age of 13, so believe me, I know. Uh, but it's still something important that we have to uh, prioritize.
professionalism is not becoming cynical, jaded. It's not entitlement. It's not laziness. It's not grousing. It's not gossiping. And it's not those who can't respect others. It's consideration towards others. How do we measure it? How do we measure it? I ask my leaders, are you stewarding your people's time wisely? Are you teaching them how to be efficient? Are you protecting them from people that would waste their time or let other people take away from their productivity? Are we addressing behavior, right? And internally, we have a lot of uh, people that we can steer them to to, to help uh, them regain that balance. Our fourth value or last value is service. And this to me is the most important value in terms of communication and building relatedness to clients. Uh, service is maintaining or exceeding our firm standards on responsiveness to clients. It's also about forming partnerships, right? I don't want to be just someone's vendor. I want to have a relationship with them. In our workplace, service is service to each other. It's being related to each other. It's lifting up your team and teammate. And many of us are forming lifelong bonds based on the respect and the things that we're achieving or accomplishing together. Service is not failing to meet standards and having excuses. And service is not having merely transactional relationships. Um, clients should not be just a paycheck. In our workplace, service is not fake surface level communication. People who refuse to communicate or accept criticism. It's not fake transactional relationships or opportunistic behavior. And we've done a lot to try to design a firm that um, discourages transactional behavior. How is it measured? Well, we're doing a lot of audits and check-ins with each other during the month. We're also going to our clients and asking them for direct feedback all the time. In fact, if you're one of my clients, you probably know that pretty much every phone call I have with you, I'm going to end up saying, hey, how are we doing for you? How are we hitting the ball for you? Are we getting back to you? Are we being responsive? We also start every single meeting that I lead here and that our leaders lead by saying somebody, we go around the room, we say, tell us client or employee headlines. Tell us something good that's going on. That's how we try to keep that focus on service. We're also a golden rule workplace, which means we treat each other the way we'd want to be treated. It sounds simple, uh, but it's a very good clarifying rule to keep reminding people, hey, we've got these values and how we apply them is the way we'd want them applied to ourselves, right? So that's our cultural values. This year, we took it to the next level and we, we really changed our whole practice around our values. In fact, we redesigned our practice. We created uh, two major practice groups this year. And the reason we did this is we discovered we're actually servicing two different um, sort of client populations. And so what we did is we went through all of our clients and we said they're either going to fit in one or of two different buckets. And the first bucket we call insured risk. Insured risk is carriers and their insureds. This is a challenging group to serve. You know, carriers are usually very sophisticated clients, usually uh, have lots of great processes and pathways in place, a lot of uh, clear expectations established, but they have generally an insured risk population of insured employers uh, who they don't have usually great control over things like return to work plans. Sometimes even getting information from that insured risk population can be a challenge. So we've designed an entire practice group. It's set up by my partner, Declan Gorley, that we call the insured risk practice group. And if you're on this group, you only are serving carriers and their insureds. And we did this, we, we had about 42 attorneys at the time we designed these practice groups. And we looked at the math, about 20 of them were on this insured risk practice group. So about half the firm is currently involved in this insured risk group. And what this has allowed us to do as a, as a firm 
is dedicate attorneys to clients. So if you're one of our larger clients, you may have two, three, four, five even attorneys assigned to you as a client, and they will always be the same. So that just makes things a lot simpler uh, and clearer for clients. And the other large group that we created is called self-insured practice group because we discovered about half of our clients are all self-insureds or high deductible uh, insureds. And so what we've discovered is they have a very specific and unique need or market need. You know, this is all their money. Um, they're very active and involved generally in their cases. Again, very sophisticated. Um, they understand that there is variations from um, jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Uh, and so this practice group, which is headed up by my partner, Christian Cison, um, is designed to meet the needs of those self-insured. So this was our big strategic goal for 2022, was to identify these markets, create practice groups. Uh, we created some roles internally to serve these markets, and we divided up uh, the, the work between them. We ended up reassigning more than a thousand cases, and that process involved every single department at the firm this year, from client relations to intake, to IT, everybody, and about half the attorneys had cases moved. Uh, and it resulted in, I think, a lot better service to clients, a lot closer alignment with our clients, and a lot better understanding of our client needs. We had some other big results this year. In February, uh, we created a training course, which we delivered to arbitration forums. Uh, which is now being used to train the judges in uh, New York arbitrations. Uh, in March, we opened up that training course that we had designed and built for the judges, and we uh, were using that internally. We started opening that up to clients and prospects, and we started external and external training and started one of our, our clients, Chubb, asked us to do that. Uh, in November of this year, uh, we were named panel counsel for a large insurance fund which is giving us a lot of experience throughout the state of New York. And we had a lot, a lot of firm-wide events, which I'll talk about in a future slide. Uh, we also went to the, our clients and said, look, it's, uh, it's a tough year this year, a lot of inflation. We want to keep the best team for you. So we asked clients for rates uh, increases. And we had the largest rate increases that we've ever had in our history this year. And I was a little nervous, you know, as the firm owner doing that, but actually demand increased after we increased our rates. Uh, which really shows to me that I think our clients really respect the work we're providing to them and understood that, hey, it was necessary to increase our rates to keep up with both inflation and also to be able to field the best team. We had a lot of cultural or internal highs. We did a lot of charitable stuff this year that you know I think was really great. Uh, we had a bowling event. Uh, we rented out a bowling alley and we had an event where we invented, we invited challenged athletes to participate with us. These are athletes with disabilities that we support. Uh, that was a really fun, great event. In March, we had a clothing drive uh, run by the diversity committee. In June, we had a dog show. Uh, we put on a dog show in a park. Uh, we had a lot of people attend. A lot of dogs entered in this show, and we raised a lot of money for uh, a charity called The Seeing Eye, uh, which provides seeing eye dogs uh, to people, which is based in Morristown, New Jersey. In August, we did a book drive uh, for a women's charity. In September, for our firm anniversary, it was our seventh anniversary, we did a casino night, which was really fun. And actually, my favorite thing I think we did all this year was in November, we called it the month of gratitude. And we posted in our team channels gratitudes about things we're thankful for in our personal lives. And then we had this potluck lunch, which was run by the diversity committee. We had food from every country in the world, it seemed like, in there. And that was just a real ball. We really had a good time with that. 
in December, we had our end of the year holiday party, actually our biggest one ever with uh, almost 150 plus people at that party. So it was pretty cool. Um, going forward, the stuff that's going to differentiate us in 2022, you know, we've been very careful. I think we're ready for the storms that are going to come. Our firm structure now organized by client, not attorney. I think that's a great thing that's going to help our clients. Great playbook, great standard work. Uh, we are now completely a one-to-one -one ratio of attorney to paralegal, uh, which is serving to reduce client costs. Our average bill has gone down since we've done this, which is useful. Um, everyone knows that we have metrics-based litigation management, uh, dashboards running throughout the office. Everyone in this office knows where the firm stands in terms of our clients and our revenues and all those things. Training offerings to clients have expanded this year and they will continue to expand in our practice training system is going to be vastly different uh, in 2023, and it was vastly changed in 2022. Uh, and one of the things that's turning out to be a big uh, differentiator for us, particularly in winning public contracts, has been owning the technology stack down to the bare metal. Uh, we made a significant investment in custom technology years ago. It's really paying off now. Our long-term differentiating factors are 100% going to be our people and our culture. I think we've got the best people. I think we're building a great culture. And so our goal this year is really to focus on our organizational development. Um, you know, I think our mission, vision, and values are very strong and well understood throughout the practice. I also think we've got great clients, a strong brand, great standard work, strong technology infrastructure, processes, systems, business models. The thing we're focusing on now in 2023 is really building up the organization. Uh, it means that I'm going to spend a lot of my time this year in the market, uh, recruiting attorneys, onboarding, integrating people, training attorneys. That's what we're going to be really focusing on this year as we expand. Uh, I'm also proud to announce some new partners. Chris Major was elevated to partner. He's been with the firm for six years. Um, he's the client lead in our complex claims practice. And he primarily spends his day doing subrogation work, reimbursement work. Section 29 in New York, Section 40 work in New Jersey, and defending hemp claims. He was elevated to partner effective January 1st, and so was Noah Pollock. Noah Pollock was a senior associate. I think he's been with us at least five or six years. Uh, he works primarily in the complex claims practice, and he focuses his practice on owner-controlled insurance programs and construction claim defense, working with my partner, Tashia Razul. So, that's the big stuff that's changed for us this year. And now let's talk about our case wins. Um, we had a lot of great case results. I tried to just pick out 12, 12 that I thought were ones that, you know, meant something to the client, um, you know, showed us our living out our values and particularly the value of advocacy or aggressiveness. Uh, so let's talk about some case results, wins that made a difference and things that we're going to build on for next year. Uh, so the first one I'm going to talk about is a case called Nunzio Movers. It was decided in July 22nd. The attorney here was Vandana Saunders. Uh, she's a senior associate in our insured risk practice group. Uh, what an amazing case that she had. And if you get a chance to read this one, um, you know, this is a case in which uh, the claimant uh, got a penalty against the employer. Uh, they had brought in these expert reports that, you know, we disputed, we argued. And by some really careful argument at trial and some uh, real advocacy on appeal, got the claimant's expert report thrown out of the case and vacated the penalty against the employer, which is a real win for the client because it means, well, if they can't bring in their own expert report, they can't prove their case, the case is essentially done, right? So 
really great result. It just really shows the kind of advocacy uh, that we're trying to promote here. Uh, if you get penalized a lot, our next case is about that. Um, you know, a lot of my clients complain, and this case is called Millennium Medical. It was decided uh, June 21st, 2022. You know the board loves to penalize. They like to nail you for every little thing, and particularly for failing to file. That's one of their favorite ones uh, to issue a penalty for. Uh, those can be challenged, and those you can win on those if there's good reason. So Natalie Thomas in our insured risk practice group, uh, she had a great win this year uh, back in June uh, for challenging those failure to file those penalties that seem to add up in every case. Um, our next case I want to talk about is for certified moving and storage. It was decided on August 24th, 2022, and in this case, Matthew Shrieks, a senior associate in our insured risk practice group, got a reopening of the record. Um, our IME had been precluded uh, for technical reasons. Uh, you know, we were being essentially forced to move forward without the opportunity to bring a medical expert. We challenged that, um, went forward to the board, said, no, you've got to reopen the record. We, we absolutely, causation is never waived. We need the right to de depose their doctor and present our witnesses. The board panel agreed with us. And so here's a case where, again, even where your uh, witness has been precluded or maybe even your uh, doctor's report has been thrown out, you know, it's, these things can still be fought and they can still be won. In the next case, uh, for uh, titled Alcoa, board number G2829710, this case was decided July 6, 2022. It was defended by Associate Tomer Lair in our self-insured practice group. Uh, this is a crazy case, and you know, it, you'll, you'll, these things happen. This is, this is the reality of the kind of um, jurisdiction we're de defending cases in. Here's a case in which we had surveillance, which we argued showed that the claimant was a fraud. The judge of compensation reviewed the video and said, you know what, I'm not even going to let you take the testimony of your surveillance agent. I'm not even going to let you move forward with it. I don't see that this video is enough so I'm going to throw the video out, okay? That denied our client due process, uh, which, by the way, is guaranteed to us under the Constitution. So we argued that, went up to the appeal, uh, took, took the appeal, uh, and the board came back and said, no, no, judge, you can't just say this isn't compelling video, I'm throwing it out. You have to at least allow the employer the right to move forward, to bring witnesses, and, of course, to demonstrate that video in court. So even in cases where... You know, you feel like the judge has done something unfair. You can't say, hey, what, there's a rule the judge violated. Well, they violate due process, right, by uh, not allowing us the opportunity to present our full case. And here's an, uh, an example of us fighting that and winning on that. Next one was uh, by Ian Habistro, who's the senior associate in our self-insured practice group. He had a case for uh, titled Help USA, decided March 18, 2022. In this case, the claimant, lied to our IME doctor, Dr. Pei. Um, in fact, uh, did not tell our doctor or concealed when they were talking to our doctor some prior injuries and claims. Uh, we were successful in bringing that out and successful in arguing uh, that the mandatory and discretionary penalties against the claimant should be imposed. Now, at the trial level, the judge didn't do that, but we got the board panel to go back and do that. So, you know, again, we're also frustrated when the claimant goes to be interviewed or goes for an examination with our expert, and then we, we believe they've misled or mischaracterized their prior medical history. 
Well, here's an example of winning on that topic and getting mandatory and discretionary penalties going into the future. Uh, so great job on that one, Ian. Next, unrelated wage loss, Dan Gillis in our construction and complex claims practice group and a decision for Feist uh, Electric Corp decided October 4, 2022. He won in an unrelated wage loss case in which the claimant had a partial disability and was obligated under the workers' compensation law to look for work within his restrictions. Well, the claimant refused to look for work outside of his union. He said, you know what, I'm a union uh, employee or I'm, I'm affiliated with the union. So under my union rules, I only am looking for jobs that are union affiliated. And the board panel came back and said, no, it doesn't matter what contract you have with some other entity, your contract you have with your union. If you have a partial disability, you need to be out there looking for any work, not just work from your union. Right. So if you have this challenge or you feel like I've got this unionized employment, it's really challenging to push people back to work or push them to at least look for work within their restrictions, we've got the case law now on our side uh, that we can require that. The next case I want to talk about is from Olivia Barna in our insured risk practice group. Case uh, for home health management decided November 7th, 2022. In this case, she won a trial on a lack of attachment argument in a case where the claimant was presenting proofs to the court that they were attached to the workforce and they were presenting uh, a C-258 form, which is a record of voluntary work search or independent voluntary work search. So the claimant was saying, yeah, I have a partial disability, I admit it, but I, and I am out there looking for jobs. And look, here's the examples of all the jobs I'm looking for. Well, Olivia went through the documentation that was provided by the claimant and said, you know what, this doesn't matter measure up to what the statute requires, the regulation requires. You know, there is no resume, for example, that's being uh, put out there. This person claims they're um, applying for jobs, but there's really no proofs of that, no emails, no correspondence back and forth. And she was successful at trial at showing that this claimant was not attached, right? And that's the kind of leverage that you can create in a case by um, strong advocacy. Uh, my next case is from Zarea Wade in our insured risk practice group. Uh, she got a great decision on October 28th. It's called Camp Regesh. That's the name of the case. Uh, where she had a very young claimant. The case has been going on for a long time. But in this case, the claimant had gotten all sorts of really interesting, sort of, in my opinion, bizarre um, medical care, including things like uh, personal trainers and a home health aide for this relatively young claimant. Um, you know, uh, Zarea did a very good job of comparing the medical treatment guidelines and the variance requests to what the treatment this person actually needed and was able to demonstrate uh, that this treatment was unnecessary. The trial judge agreed with Zarea and that denial of treatment was ultimately upheld at the board panel level. Our next case that I'm going to talk about is uh, from Misha Powell, uh, an associate in our construction and complex claims practice group. Um, the case is called Thunder F&E Construction Corp, and it was de decided June 15th, 2022. Now, here's an interesting case in which our defenses were precluded. And they were precluded because when you file a denial or a controversy in a New York workers' compensation case, uh, you need to file a bunch of supporting paperwork. One of them is called the pre-hearing conference statement, or in the board parlance, it's PH-16.2 document. If you fail to file that document, your ability to present uh, documents and witnesses is foreclosed. You've waived it. Uh, in this case, it was actually filed, 
But the board had an internal scanning error. In other words, the docketing clerk at the Workers' Compensation Board failed to actually uh, scan our um, uh, pleading and put it correctly into the record. Now, this was raised to the judge of compensation, but the judge didn't seem to care and waived our client's uh, ability to present witnesses and documents. That was appealed, and we were successful on appeal in getting that preclusion of defenses uh, reversed and sent back for a full trial. So that's a big win. It also should point out to people, when you have your defenses uh, reduced or waived or foreclosed, there still is arguments to be made. You can still get these things fixed. Um, next case, uh, for uh, the case title is A&F Fire Protection Company. It was decided August 5, 2022. Attorney Anthony Eiler in our Insured Risk Practice Group um, uh, had uh, a firing. They terminated the employee uh, who had a partial temporary disability. And we argued that the termination was for cause, that the claimant had returned to work, uh, they had returned to work in a light duty capacity, but then they purposefully or knowingly were engaging in activity that they knew or should have known was gonna lead to them being terminated. In other words, essentially a voluntary withdrawal because they did things that knew would lead to their termination. Uh, at trial, uh, we, didn't, we did not prevail. The judge said, sorry, you've terminated them. Now you have to pay them temporary disability. We made that argument and brought it to the appeal board and we were successful there. Uh, we were then allowed to present testimony to demonstrate that the claimant voluntarily withdrew from the employment by violating work rules in such a way they knew they would be terminated. Second to last case that I want to talk about is called Emergency Ambulance Services, Inc., decided October 31st, decided on Halloween of 2022. Uh, the trial attorney at Lois was Nicholas Minerva in our insured risk practice group. And this case stands for the long line of cases that we've established where we've uh, obtained surveillance video, covert surveillance video of the claimant. The claimant uh, then disputes that they were engaged in the activities in our surveillance video, which means the case needs to move forward to full trial and litigation. The judge in this case said, oh, I'm sorry, Lois Law Firm and your client, Emergency Ambulance Services, Inc., but unless you produce the reports of the evaluator, I'm sorry, the reports of the uh, investigating agent, I'm not going to allow the surveillance video to be submitted into evidence. We argued, hey, why do you why do you want these reports? We all know why, by the way, they want our surveillance reports. They want to use it uh, as a way to undermine the credibility of their agent, to cross-examine them, uh, to confuse things. So we, generally speaking, we tell our clients, hey, we don't want to ever produce reports. In fact, don't even get the reports. Don't pay for them. I'd rather just get the raw video and we'll watch it. Um, so the judge of compensation at the trial level said, nope, I'm not allowing your surveillance to go in unless you produce the reports. We said, no, judge, we never produce the reports. We always argue against that because we're going to prevent, present the testimony of the person who actually made the surveillance video. That's the best evidence, and that's the only thing that can be cross-examined. You, know, you can't cross-examine a report. The trial judge in this case disagreed with us. We said, you're wrong. We took it to the board panel, and there the board panel agreed, and they said, you're right. You can produce covert surveillance the videos, the testimony, for example, of the investigator without having to produce any written reports, which again, that inures to our benefit. So that's something that we definitely want to protect. The last case I'm going to talk about is a COVID-19 disallowance. This is a case for Macy's Retail. It was decided August 5, 2022, and it was tried uh, by our attorney, 
Connor Weatherington, who's a senior associate in our self-insured practice group. He was able to demonstrate through trial testimony and uh, evidence that the claimant did not have exposure to COVID-19. Now, it's really tough to prove a negative, but in this case, we were able to do it. The claimant had a very specific job within the uh, jewelry department at Macy's. We were able to demonstrate that they had very little contact uh, with general public and there was unlikely that they had contracted the disease. And so we challenged causation in this case and we prevailed. And I point this out to people because, you know, on so many jurisdictions, you know, the COVID-19 cases, either there's a presumption against you or the cases run uh, negatively to the employers but you can defend these cases under the right set of facts. So we don't always give up on causation. So that's a little look at some of the cases that uh, made a big difference this year for our clients and some of the attorneys uh, who sort of led those. Uh, and, and you can see uh, we're trying a lot of cases and we are trial attorneys at Lois Law Firm. All right, let's look ahead. What's, what's gonna change for 2023? What am I doing for 2023? What's my goal? I told everyone that works here, and we have almost 100 employees, our goal, our headline that we want to read at the end of the year, I want to look back and say we improved our organizational health here by empowering our leaders and investing in our people. And what that means to us is we're continuing to invest in our staff and attorneys. We're going to continue to provide a one-to-one -one attorney uh, to paralegal ratio. We think that results in better service to clients a better work-life balance for both the attorney and the paralegal, and also lower bills, lower overall bills to clients. Uh, we're going to continue our leadership development program, which we have a special program in here just for managers and supervisors, and we're going to expand that program even further to include more future leaders. We currently have 31 people uh, in that leadership development program. And of course, my big goal for this year is to continue recruiting, onboarding, training, and integrating new attorneys and paraprofessionals so that we can continue to provide a consistent level of service to our clients. I want to provide continuity of service. I want to make sure that the cases are staffed adequately. A lot of things are not going to change. Our mission continues to be to defend employers. My goal and my job here is to protect our clients from being taken advantage of by the workers' compensation system. And this year, we're going to continue to offer more and more training and more focused and timely alerts to our clients about changes in the workers' compensation system. Internally, we're going to continue to live out our values, that creativity, advocacy, professionalism, and service model in the way that we continue to service our clients. So I want to thank everyone uh, for jumping into this webinar today. And open up the question panel. I got to imagine there's probably not any questions because this has really been sort of a big review of the past year and kind of a look forward. But I'm very excited about 2023 and what we're going to be able to achieve for our clients and the results we're going to get. And I can't wait to look back at the end of the year and say, did we achieve our headline goal? You know, did we achieve that improvement in our organizational health? Did we empower more people to step up and lead? Uh, did we give people more opportunities and not just more obligations? That's really what our goal is for 2023 and something I'm very excited about. So thanks for joining in and I'll see everybody uh, next month when we'll resume our normal programming and we'll be talking about a uh, specific topic in New York workers' compensation. All right. Thanks. Bye.